Today's show is brought to you by IBM. 16 million new-collar jobs will be created by 2024. To help fill them, IBM's new education model gives high school students workplace experience and an associate's degree. 90 P-Tech schools are already preparing graduates for tomorrow's STEM careers. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com slash P-Tech. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large at Recode, and you're listening to Too Embarrassed to Ask, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is a show where we answer all of your embarrassing questions about consumer tech and the week's news. You can send us your questions on Twitter with the hashtag Too Embarrassed. We also have an email address, tooembarrassed at recode.net. Reminder, there are two R's and two S's in embarrassed in case you cannot spell. Today's Too Embarrassed to Ask is coming to you from the 2018 Code Conference. I'm in Rancho Palos Verdes, California, by the ocean today with Peter Kafka from Recode and Casey Newton from The Verge. We're going to talk about some of the highlights of this year's conference and how this conference came together. This is the first year I co-produced the event with Pierre. Peter, how you doing? How's it going? I called, you, from I, I called you Walt Mossberg, too, I think, right? Is that correct? Another old grumpy Jew. <laughs> yes, indeed. I seem to have an affinity for them. Casey, hello. Hello. Nice How to be here. Oh, are you doing your game show voice? Uh, I don't know. I, this, this is just my, my early morning Casey, voice, we're not going to pipe in fake uh, applause. No here. applause, no yeah. laugh Did track. Was that fake applause? Several people asked me. Yeah, um, we are doing some interesting audio things with the show, and they've been quite controversial. Yeah, I know. Everyone's like, why does he have fake applause? And I was like, I don't know. Don't, don't ask him. Should we... Explain the name of the show. Yeah, yeah. so um, explain if, what you're doing. If you haven't yet, besides being a fine reporter covering many things into Silicon Valley, I appreciate that. Living Kara's backyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you haven't yet had a chance to listen to the number seven tech podcast in the world, let me tell you about Converge. It's an interview game show. We bring on some of the most interesting personalities in Silicon Valley. We ask them many interesting questions about their lives, and then we play a bunch of silly games. Uh, and the idea is to have a tech show uh, where you learn about what's going on these days in the industry, but you also have a good time. So, so it's edge mutainment. It's Edgemutainment is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a fast-growing industry. <laughs> and uh, we're, we're two episodes in. We're having a lot of fun so far. We're getting good feedback. We were featured on Apple um, in their new and noteworthy section this week. So having a good time. Converge. It's Converge. the Vox Media Podcast Network. The, the aspiration that one day you can afford to do it with a live audience? Yeah, absolutely. We've already talked about wanting to do it before a live studio audience. You know, the, So it was, uh, it was the idea of our uh, producer, Andrew Marino, to really give it a game show vibe. And that meant pumping in some like crowd noise and kind of giving you this sense that you were uh, actually listening to a game show, but uh, I don't know. Listen and to also, it. Also, by the think. way, people don't know this about Casey Newton, but he does improv, correct? I do. Uh, I started doing that as a hobby, and then when it came time to do a podcast, which is something I've wanted to do for a long time, we had talked about some more traditional ideas, but we mm-hmm. kind of kept circling around to like, wouldn't it be nice to make people laugh? Like, I sort of feel like, and this is not true of your shows, but mm-hmm. like, you listen to a lot of of shows, you read a lot of the internet, and it all just kind of presupposes we're we're at the end of the world, and we wanted to make a show that's like, well, actually, what if it's not? Like, mm-hmm. you know, what, or what, if it is the end of the world? Let's have a good time, right? Exactly. So hopefully either way you'll find something to enjoy. But one thing I noticed that you promised, that you did not solve a murder. That's true. Well, listen, in the trailer we said that every week we're going to solve a murder. And here's what we've learned. It's very difficult to solve a murder. You know, you think you're just going to go in and crack open a cold case and fix it. To do a murder. Well, listen, I can't be involved with anything illegal. But uh, listen, the season's going to be long and and, and who knows what murders we may solve by the end of it. Maybe there's one murder that you solve throughout the season. I really like that idea. It seems it's it's been very popular in other shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we could call it Murder She Wrote. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I would I like the idea of rebooting Murder She Wrote just with me. With yeah. Casey mm-hmm. Newton. It's a nice idea. That would be good. Mm-hmm. Um, you could live up in Maine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cabot oh, Cove. That, yeah. Oh, that. 
Casey <laughs> up there and all your hijinks. All right, so let's talk about the Code Conference since yeah. we are here in Rancho Palos Verdes by the ocean. Um, so let's talk about day one and two, and I'd love to get each of your thoughts on them. Uh, Brad Smith? The head of the yeah. Microsoft uh, president. Well, so it was uh, it was interesting. You guys had an interesting conversation with Brad that was really focused around the Microsoft antitrust trial. Yeah, and I was wanting to set the tone because they were the bad, big bad guys last time. There was big bad guys here in Silicon Valley. Yeah, and I, I found the discussion really interesting. And of course, it's in the news right now because there are a lot of people who want to bring this antitrust pressure to bear on Facebook and maybe Google. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Microsoft still kind of hates Google. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, some of the commentary around the interview was, you know, was Brad trying to create problems for for Google by mm-hmm. like sort of the way that he talked about the antitrust case, right? And he was talking about responsibility too, and and the impact that that hot trial had on. Microsoft. Yeah, I mean the the one place where I disagreed with him was that he seemed to suggest that Microsoft was so distracted by the antitrust trial that that's why they didn't think to invent an internet search engine. Yeah, they probably just didn't have innovation. You know, it's like, well, They're you not know, a creative group it, of people. Like it's a pretty nice move when you can say, look, we would have literally invented Google, but we had this trial going on. Yeah, I'm not sure if I believe that. Yeah, you know who should read on this is well, I'm sure you have Ben Thompson, Mr. Techery had a had a long rant about Brad's appearance. Yes, uh, and um and. And Ben, uh, speaking as we're recording this, and uh, one of the super smartest people in tech. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, another person that spoke, which I thought was a problematic interview, was Linda McMahon, who is the SBA head, um, also one of the founders of WWE, Worldwide Wrestling or whatever. Um, very stick into the Trump line. Yeah, you know, it's. Um, I do think it was interesting as somebody who does not spend a lot of time in the room with senior Trump administration officials mm-hmm. to at least hear how they see the world. Uh, but it seems like, you know, anyone who's intellectually honest has a hard time defending the president. And so mm-hmm. you really kind of stuck it to her. And some of the people who in the audience ask questions about, you know, for example, the fact that the president lies all the time. Mm-hmm. And she just said, well, I don't know. He says he's always honest with me mm-hmm. uh, and kind of didn't really want to answer that's that how question. They it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think it's the problem with, and by the way, this isn't just politicians, right? Yeah. I mean, all sorts of executives, we're going to talk about this. You have a line, it's very hard to, to move from that line publicly. There's really only downside for moving in that line publicly. And it's frankly one of the challenges of any of these interviews, this conference, any other mm-hmm. conferences, how do you get someone to speak candidly or even appear candidly? And yeah, you if you if you have any divergent opinion from the president, you are not going to say it on the record. And you'll get fired. You get fired. Now, of course, you leak it. And of course, when you leave, then you say, oh, actually, I, I, Donald Trump's very dangerous. And, and mm-hmm. I shouldn't have been Secretary of State. And you, Thanks, Rex Tillerson. So yeah, the exit <laughs> interview with Linda McMahon would be great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll see, although she's pretty close to him, I think. I think she actually likes him. She, she, you know, I think she does. And she's wanted to be in government for a really long yes, time. Like she, she had two really hard-fought Senate campaigns yeah. and now yeah, she's there. Yeah, interesting woman, but problematic there. So two people who I thought did speak their mind a little bit more was James Murdoch and Evan Spiegel. So let's take apart each of those. Um, Murdoch, Pierre. Still very much on message, mm-hmm. right? Like he's not going to tell you what he really thinks about leaving the business that he or built Fox with News. his family. Well, there's a little bit. I mean, the one the one break, right, is he actually was critical of Linda McMahon. He joked about her, the fact that she was insisting that the president doesn't watch TV. Which again, like, if, if you're at, if you're on Fox News, you can't say that. Mm-hmm. If you own Fox News, I think you can say it. I couldn't possibly comment on the president's, you know, television habits. Um, according Executive to, time. Well, according to uh, the, administra- the small business administrator, he's, doesn't, he's working so super hard he couldn't be watching that much, <laughs> that much cable TV. So I heard that. We can only hope. 
And again, Party Line wants to do the Disney deal. I think if you got him drunk or get him drunk, just talk privately, he might say, yeah, I'd be okay selling to Comcast too. Either way, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm happy to leave the company. And again, that's sort of the challenge of, of having that conversation on stage. But um, you know, I'm super interested in just the psychology of you spent two decades working for your dad, your dad is Rupert Murdoch, and now you're going to leave that business and you're 45, what do you do with the rest of your life and how do you feel about that? There's an HBO show about this launching this weekend mm-hmm. that I'm super psyched to see. Success. Right. It's, yeah. like, it's, a, it's like a fictional uh, it's version a fictional of Murdoch's. Yeah. yeah. The question I wanted to ask you is because you, you pressed him on this question and somebody in the audience pressed him on this question, but it was like, why are you really trying to get out of the TV business? Has the TV industry peaked? So I want to know like what you think the answer to that question is. They're selling, man. I mean, Rupert Murdoch cares about news, in journalism, that's what he gets animated by. So he will build businesses for years and then abandon them. He's done that throughout his career. He's not actually emotionally attached, does not care about movies at all. If you notice, Rupert Murdoch is hanging on to News Corp, which is the journal in the New York Post, and um, he's still going to have uh, Fox to play with a little bit. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, they're, all, they're all selling for the same reason, which is the media business has peaked. And we are going to sell it to the phone company or the tech guys or whoever wants to overpay us for it, but we can't do anything more with or it. Or consolidate like Disney is doing. Yeah. But even then, they're going to have to make another move after that. I think this podcast is the peak of the media business myself. <laughs> we are uh, selling this podcast. Oh, so we're wow. selling it tomorrow. Um, so, Evan Spiegel, also heartfelt. This is one of my highlights of, of the whole conference. Yeah, that was a good um, interview. And again, I can't tell how much of what Evan said is true or not. Mm-hmm. It certainly appeared that he was listening to the question you asked him and then thinking about it in response. Yeah. Um, and uh, by far, I think it was one of the most entertaining interviews solely for the fact that he appeared to be a, a live human being talking to another human being. Yeah. It's crazy to me how rarely he speaks to the media in forums like this because he is quite good at it. And also his vision for what social media should be is so different than what Facebook's is. And given all of the business problems that Snapchat has had, I think it's even more important that he's out there. So I think he did a good job. The buzz among the attendees afterwards was, oh, hey, like he's a, he's a really interesting person. He's a thoughtful person. Um, and so I think he has a good reason to, to do that more. The criticism I would make is that I'm not sure that he was really able to make a convincing case that he has figured out or he's the not business side of by Snap. Facebook. Yeah, I mean, he's still in a tough spot. He didn't have great answers to you know how they're going to repair this disastrous redesign that they had, uh, where they're going to find the ad revenue uh, that's going to you know let them turn a profit. So lots of big questions, but uh, but those are all questions that you answer. In the real world, right? Yeah. Like, it doesn't really matter. It's cool that you say them on stage, and I think I think about this a lot. Like, what is your performance on stage as a leader? How does that matter? Does it matter as in terms of your actual performance leading the company? I think if you can't articulate what you want to do, it's probably difficult for you to lead the company that way. But I don't think that just because you're glib or smart or good at presenting, it necessarily means you're a yeah. good leader. And so if Evan, you know, he will prove it or not prove it. But he did seem like a genuine, he, he heartfelt. I don't know. He really just was, one of the things I said right before we went on, because he's quite shy, actually, um, surprisingly shy. And, it, and it's not calculatedly shy. He actually is. And he's like, oh, I hate going on these things. I said, just like, we had a really good conversation in Venice Beach earlier this year. And I said, just like, pretend we're doing that. Because it was a great, co- I enjoyed the, co- I didn't want it to end. And I believe me, often I want these conversations to end with these tech people. And I was really enjoying it because he was, he's so creative. And so, um, I said, just let's talk like talk like that. Like you're just say it. And then he, of course, took a dig at Facebook, which is always enjoyable. 
I guess what I'm saying to take it a step further is that we would really appreciate it if they copied our data protection practices also. Uh, oh. <laughs> <because> <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, it was fantastic. It was yeah. the, one of the best. Oh, he practiced that. Someone's like, oh, that was a practice line. Like, well, it worked. Like, it was like Tim Cook's did. I wouldn't, you know, the same thing. <laughs> Speaking of Facebook, Sheryl Sandberg and Mike uh, Shrepfer. You know. Come on, Casey, this here, is your bailiwick. Yeah, I mean, it was it, it was hard, right? We've been talking about Cambridge Analytica for three months. They have very pat answers to those, and you did your darndest to get them off those answers. But I don't know. They uh, they have the talking points down, and so I think it was really hard to kind of get uh, get beyond that. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I I came away a little disappointed, but I but I but at the same time I'm not exactly sure what else I wanted. Like they were clearly there to wrap up their apology tour. Right. That's a very good point. That's a really good point to put it, Peter. Yeah. No. And I mean, it's it's the frustration of talking to executives in general. Facebook is a very buttoned down company, um, and anyone. And by the way, this this is why someone like Steve Jobs was such an anomaly was that he he appeared to be just saying what he felt at the top of uh, off the top of his head and almost no one can do that and they certainly can't run a giant publicly held company and do it if you think about it right what's the what's the upside for them to tell the truth to be candid and like mm-hmm. oh this is how i really feel about right, it i tried that i tried of course right yeah. and they might tell you as soon as you walk off stage right or at least a version of it mm-hmm. But they can't do it. And so it's a frustration we have. Like, you need to have the, one of the most important companies in the world on stage at this conference. Mm-hmm. So we're glad we had them there. But I don't know what we learned. Yeah, so, like, one. Dis- what did you learn? Tell me something. Well, one distinction that I found interesting, I wrote about it uh, yesterday, was um, you had both Evan Spiegel and Sheryl Sandberg making a case for their respective companies. And when Spiegel talks about Snap, it's about getting away from this world where you feel like you're competing online for attention with your friends, you're competing for likes. It's about building closer connections to the people you already know as opposed to just doing these broadcast performances for the entire world. I actually think it's actually a, a conservative idea of what social media should be in a lot of ways. And then you had the, the Facebook execs, and the closest we got to a case for why they should exist was during Hurricane Harvey. Harvey, um, taco trucks. Two, yeah, two people who run taco trucks like hooked up and, and delivered tacos. And you know, Sheryl Sandberg was not trying to make the complete case for why Facebook should exist. Mm-hmm. It's so big that I think they probably don't feel like they need to make the case mm-hmm. for why. But I would say that given the you know year and a half that they've had, what they should be doing in those interviews is putting forth an executive who can sketch a positive vision of what Facebook is doing in our lives you that know, goes beyond taco I trucks. I talked to someone who had worked at Facebook, and he said, the thing that you would, would be great to get them to really talk about, because they do have this conversation, by the way, this happens at lots of tech companies, is an actual debate about the pros and cons of running these kind of platforms. And yes, um, there are abuses and bad things happen on Facebook, and then, then there is the taco truck, and we think there are many more taco truck or whatever positive things, and the, the debate is literally you like... You should talk how, about that, the is, humans. But the, but the debate is literally like, how much are we, are we willing to put up with for, for the upside, and not for the $40 billion in ad revenue, we think this is a genuinely good thing. Like We're not just craven people, we think what we have built has brought good to the world, and anything that would like move them into that conversation, which reflects a little bit more of what they're actually discussing. And, and mm-hmm. you had some great stories earlier this year about some of those the, the growth hacking conversation. Yeah. Like that, that is a conversation they are actually having because they are human beings; they're not yeah. robots. Um, so, in retrospect, I would love to have sort of pushed that a little more, but I don't know that we would have got it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she uh, did talk about wow, there are bad people out there. 
That was fast. I was like, oh, we're kidding. Sure. I, you know, I think... Um, but that's like, yeah, some bad people hurt our platform as opposed to like, we realize we are always going to have not right. just not just bad people abusing us, but that part of what we built is going to bring bad to the world. And we mm-hmm. think when you weigh the scale, we'd rather have the good. So something I would like love a car to maker could debate that too. Like, I, I want to hear them talk more about like, how are you going to measure you're doing the good in the world? You're actually seeing Twitter starting to do this. They, um, they're getting academics to help them measure the health of the conversation on the platform uh, in, in hopes that they can improve that. Um, you know, Facebook, it would be interesting if they did similar things and if they said, you know, what, what happened with Hurricane Harvey, we want to repeat that day after she day all around to, the world. She did mention it a little bit. Well, not let's, let's not Hurricane it. Harvey. There was one other thing she was talking about like that, that it would, yeah. if you put this much in here, this is what people feel like versus this. Sure. I mean, but like like put up a, a scoreboard and show us how that number is changing over time and, yeah. and try to measure the, the good that you're putting into the world. Yeah, they were pretty slick though. They're, I mean, they are the, Sheryl Sandberg is the, the slickest person in the entire world. Just absolutely unflappable. Trevor was a little, uh, seemed a little... He had a good joke about yeah. being, being, a a robot. Robot. being a yeah. robot. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, good. All right, now last one we're going to talk about, Mark Warner, Senator Mark Warner. Yeah, Mark Warner has taken a leading role um, uh, on the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, taking a look at what um, the Russians did during the, the 2018 election and um, has a lot of smart things to say and doesn't have very much power. Yeah. Um, you know, and <laughs> but very, I thought that was very substantive. What he yeah, was no, he, I mean, he's, he's an incredibly substantive guy. I think that his ideas, if they were implemented, would do a lot of good in the world. He's one election away from having more power, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Senate's majority. To me, the most interesting thing, and we didn't spend a lot of time on it, is how strong his anti-China yeah. um, uh, feelings are and... I think way ahead of where the rest of Silicon Valley is, where they're, you know, it's complicated, right? People may fear China, but they're also happy to take their money and they definitely want to get into those markets. Um, and he was really, I mean, I've asked him about it a couple of times. He really wants them to basically stop doing business there right. um, and also not take their money. And if you could, we could go down that rabbit hole. But if we're not going to take Chinese money, what about Russian money? Should Facebook return their DST money? Um, should you not be doing business with the Saudis? I mean, it would really change. Silicon Valley, yep. much of America, yeah. right? If if we stopped taking, if we started, if we started returning checks, yes, <laughs> it's it's true. But you know that makes me think of the a great uh, conversation um, Kara had with uh, some uh, venture capitalists who are trying to bring more more women to the table, and something they talked about was. Customers are changing, and customers are demanding different kinds of companies. And so, companies may get to a point where um, their customers are saying, "Hmm, like you're doing what in China? Actually, I'm not going but to I use d- you because of the human rights abuses." I think the thing they did talk about China was how how much they're bettering us. Um, but we're going to take a quick break from a word from our sponsors. Then we'll be back with Peter Kafka and Casey Newton. We're at the 2018 Code Conference talking about everything that happened here this week, which is quite a lot. We had a lot of interviews, and I'm exhausted myself. But we have one ad break in this episode, so I'm going to need you two to say together, give me your best hashtag money. Hashtag, hashtag money. money. Oh, my God. You hashtag fiat currency. <laughs> give, me your, give me your money. Casey Coin. That sounds good. Oh, my God, you do. <laughs> Today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn Marketing Solutions. Here's our colleague, Nichette Kerwa, to tell you more. When you advertise on LinkedIn, you're building long-term relationships with your customers. Relationships that often translate into high-quality leads, website traffic, and higher brand awareness. The first step? Talking to the right audience. Every day, more than 500 million professionals engage with content on LinkedIn, and chances are your future customers are among them. LinkedIn has the marketing tools to help you target your customers with precision, down to their job title, company name, and industry. 
In fact, four of five customers who are on LinkedIn are decision makers at their companies. So you're building relationships that really matter. To redeem a free $100 LinkedIn ad credit and launch your first campaign, go to linkedin.com slash ask. That's linkedin.com slash ask for your free $100 ad credit. Terms and conditions apply. Today's show is brought to you by IBM. We live in a world that's creating AI-enabled everything, a world with more IoT devices than people. Today, technology has never been smarter, but smart only matters when you put it to work where it matters. When we put smart to work, we can help save species, increase crop yields, and make progress, not just for a few of us, but for all of us. So let's get to it. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com smart. And we're back with Peter Kafka and Casey Newton talking about the 2018 Code Conference, which just completed. We've got a couple questions from our readers and listeners about the event. What did you all think of Carol Sandberg's dodging Kara's image question, how big a hit her reputation has taken? I tried. I tried to get her to have a, a genuine human emotion about that. She said that was unfair to me later, but I don't think so. Well, uh, the interesting thing to me about that is that we know, because I reported it this year, that Sheryl mm-hmm. Sandberg uh, has a pollster who works mm-hmm. at Facebook who monitors her image. So she knows the exact answer to that question, mm-hmm. and it would have been interesting if she'd shared it. And what do you think from a Casey Newton perspective? Um, you know, I, I actually doubt that her image has taken too big of a hit, in part because she is so good at saying so little on stage, right? Uh, she is not the person who's most closely associated with Facebook. It's Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, I would imagine that Zuckerberg's reputation has taken a bigger hit this year. How big? I don't know, like probably like four points. Four points. What do you think? I think it's 7%. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, but what do you think about that? Because, you know, there was ideas that both of them were going to run for Cheryl office. has a cool trick where she can be COO of Facebook and then step outside and not be held responsible for Facebook's excesses. Mm-hmm. You can argue, by the way, that she shouldn't be, but... You can I debate can. that both. You can debate that yeah, both ways. He's the CEO. Um, but yeah, no, Sheryl Sandberg. There's lots of people who know that Sheryl Sandberg is a tech executive and can't tell you what she does, mm-hmm. which is not the worst thing for Sheryl. Right, that's true. Um, but you know, I think I was trying to get to the idea of one, the image, and her herself. What's the what has it changed her? Because you know, getting being under this kind of scrutiny is not. Yeah, I mean, I definitely say that, you know, if and when she leaves Facebook, this, the paragraph about her oversight of the Cambridge Analytica scandal is like a paragraph that is high up in that story. Yeah, especially if she But, decides. you know, it's Mark, Mark has been in rare, you know, which is not normally the case, Mark has been the one talking to Congress, yep. talking to press, and yep. as it should be. So it's right. the focus is on yeah. him. Okay. Uh, Nate Gorby, uh, what do you guys think of the Snap CEO's long game plans? Is Snapchat the tortoise in this race? Long pause, like Evan Spiegel. There, <laughs> you know, he did a lot of long pauses. A lot of long pauses. It's it's hard. I mean, I you know, I've said this. Like, I as a reporter, what I root for is a balance of power. Like for me, we're better off when there's multiple companies competing and trying to out innovate one another. And so, I want Snapchat to sort of be in the race. The fact of the matter is, though, you look at their business and it's been very badly managed. Like they took it public at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've made a lot of mistakes since then. They have an insane amount of executive turnover at their highest ranks. Mm-hmm. They have a culture that is, you know, leads people to leave and write long memos about how toxic. how toxic it is, right? So they have a lot of basic business blocking and tackling they need to do mm-hmm. before we can talk about whether their grand vision can outcompete Facebook's. Because at this point, I think it's more of an execution problem. Mm-hmm. All right, then. Their audience is not growing at a rapid clip, right? I mean, so it's one thing if you you can, as Facebook did for a long time, fumble along and have have a revolving door of executives and all sorts Which of screw ups, right? I'm saying, but they were growing the whole time, and it looks that. 
you know, I did not think that Facebook was going to be able to successfully sort of copy them and stunt their growth. That seemed like a really stupid idea to me. And I was wrong. It looks like they have done that really well. And it may be that Snapchat is a popular product with a certain group of people, kind of in the Twitter way, that is not going to really grow beyond that group. It seems that way. In fact, there was a Pew study out today that said that uh, that teens' use of Facebook proper is declining, uh, but Instagram usage is going up. But also that, and I, I want to say it was about almost seventy percent of teens are using Snapchat. So, if, I got to tell you, I got some, and you and you've got some teens that are that are using it only uh, using it. Yeah. So I, I mean, they say they use Instagram, but they don't. I don't like every two weeks essentially. Right. And they are on Snapchat literally twenty four. My son is has it on. He just works in his room and his friends are on there and they're constantly using yeah, it. Look, like Twitter owned the news junkies and there's like 300 million of them and they were able to actually turn a profit last quarter for the first yeah. time ever. So, you know, maybe this is a similar situation where Evan Spiegel just sort of owns a generation of mobile users and he will eventually be able so to build like the right WeChat business around that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for all their problems, I don't think that their core audience is really going anywhere in the next year. Yeah. What about you? Same thing. I agree with Casey Newton. Yes. Yes. yes exactly. Five points. But one, one last thing about Snapchat. The, the facility with which the, my teens use it is really fascinating, how quickly they do it. Which And, and when I asked them about Facebook, it, it, there was a group of them, like a bunch of lacrosse bros and around the house. And I was like, Facebook, they're like, ugh. Like they just literally want to, they, they did fake vomiting like the whole time. These Because <laughs> that's years. where mom is. Exactly. I, I, they just were like, we never use it. We never will. Like it was really interesting. Yeah, but they're all on Instagram. Like Not Mark Zuckerberg that. is still profiting the off of the lacrosse are. bros. The just girls fine. were. It was interesting. It was an interesting. It was just. A, it was just. It was a bunch of certain kinds of kids. But I think they represented quite a few of different things. All right, let's get to some more speakers. No, one more question. Lots of important people in the tech world. How do you prioritize and sift through the ultimate? Invites also a lot of intersectionality in tech, but have plenty seemingly non-tech interviewees. How do you successfully marry their worlds to tech? Peter, do this speech about how tech affects everything, please. Tech affects everything. Yeah. Okay. So we had David Chang on. He's yeah. Talk about awesome cook. cook. He has a show on Netflix. You can argue that makes him. T- but that's not interesting. The point is, he lives in the world. He's an interesting person. So one, if you're a technologist, you should hear how someone who's running a amazing um, restaurant empire thinks about the world. Yep. He intersects, by the way, intersectionality, he intersects with delivery services. So there's little bits of that, but it's much more interesting to just hear a real human being talk about running a business, failing You've at running a business, that, screwing up, figuring out how to harass people less, all of that. Like That's the world and tech is the world. Yeah. Yeah, and also he invested in a couple of tech businesses right. or tech-enabled delivery. We, we right, don't but we don't. But we don't. We, don't mean, we 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 actively try not to strain and go. Tell us about your Twitter strategy. Who gives a fuck? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Although some people, like we did with Kim Kardashian, we had her because she did. She was so popular on social media, and also she's Kim Kardashian, and she went to the White House yesterday. Um, so, and then how do we prioritize and sift through all? We just beg people, right, Peter? Beg slash demand. Demand threaten. That's our job. I know. Yeah, I mean, like, the, look, the, I can say this as somebody who does not work at Recode. The thing that always sets this conference apart is you get like the big deal CEOs to yeah. show up. You know, there's a lot of tech conferences out there that get, get the one. you know the chief financial officer of or one. you know LinkedIn, but yeah. you know. Yeah, I beat the I live you the living them, and I'm trying more. I'm getting real good at it, and they just seem to want to keep coming back. It's an odd situation. Um, so let's go through a few more. Uh, the Times Up panel you mentioned. 
Yeah, you know, it was uh, it was great to um, hear. I, I just I learned a lot. You know, it's it's a great opportunity to sit and listen to women in the industry about their experiences, about how things are changing, how they're not changing. That conference was particularly oriented around. I'm sorry, that panel was oriented around solutions, things mm-hmm. that people can be doing be now to start changing that ratio. And um, and and honestly, like like people were wrapped. Like there, mm-hmm. like people, like the 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 session was full. Mm-hmm. Nobody was looking at their phones. Yeah. It was just a really good talk. You good. could see the energy of that session on the monitors outside the room, mm-hmm. which is, a, it's again, you feel, unless you're there, it's hard to explain this, but sometimes you can tell when you're on stage that it's, uh, yeah. it's half interested. Um, and when you're watching generally on a screen, you can't really tell, but you could see, you could feel the vibration. Before we go, Kara, because a bunch of people have asked me about this, would you describe your relationship to Megan Smith? Oh, we are divorced. So you used to be married. Yes. Um, used to be gay married. Gay married. Mm-hmm. Um, like, Why didn't Carol was interviewing her ex-wife? Yes. Yes. Oh. Which is fine. They, yeah. they just wanted you to tell people. I know. We thought stage. about that. We thought about that. We should, maybe you uh, actively decided not to. Yeah. Yeah. I just figured you forgot. So I no. may have. Here, <laughs> no, we, we, here's I our, here's about, our disclosure. Here's our, I, at the same time, it was it didn't really have pertinence, you know, no. in the topic. And also, she was the CTO of America, so she had she wasn't on she wasn't on as your ex wife. No, no, she wasn't on as my ex wife. Yeah, yeah, but we get along very well, um, you know. And maybe we, and next year you can bring her back and you just kind of talk about the whole relationship. <laughs> we did that. We actually <laughs> did. Uh, we did that at Lesbian Zoo Tech. We did you know? a thing about tech. We talked mostly about tech, but my first question was. Um, who do you think our children like more? <laughs> like, I think that was our first question. And then we talked about who was the top lesbian in tech, uh, her or me. And then we decided it was Sheryl Sandberg with a couple of drinks in her or something like that. We made a joke and you know, it was, we, whatever. Yeah, in I case. like this podcast. Do yeah. you? It's a good podcast. So a couple more. Uh, Randall Stevenson. Peter, you did that interview. That was a great interview. As I said, the Randall Stevenson wasn't psyched to be CEO on. CEO of AT&T. CEO of AT&T being sued by DOJ. There's a, they are expecting a ruling June 12th. Um, and between us and the listeners of this podcast, I think that AT&T assumed this trial would be over by the time they came on stage. And they weren't psyched to be on stage in the middle of a trial. I respect him for coming on. And I, I really respect the fact that when I asked him some straightforward questions, he gave straightforward answers. He's a fascinating CEO. Yeah. I mean, I still don't, th- I believe that he's not really providing the real answer to why he's buying Time Warner, which is he's got a slow growth business and he doesn't really know what else to do. Um, but it was still a really interesting question. We talked about Roseanne Barr. Um, and again, like I mentioned earlier, you talk know. a lot about Roseanne Barr the whole time. Yeah, but it's, it, I yeah. like bringing news in, and also yeah. like, yeah, you. By the way, you've been running the phone company, and now you're going to be dealing with people like Roseanne Barr. Yeah, um, really smart. And um, I, this is a, something I've been interested in for a year plus. Is this Black Lives Matter speech that he gave, which was a little bit of a big deal at the time, but has since sort of gone unnoticed and. You know, it shouldn't be a radical thing for someone who runs a big publicly traded company to say that, you know, black people have had a hard time. Um, but it is. Two weeks before I gave this talk, you know, you had five police officers killed in Dallas. And, uh, and, and so we just had all of this, these activities going on and some amazing racial tension. And my view was that none of our political leaders were stepping up in a way that gave context to our people. And our, my employees were struggling with this. And I was feeling tension among my employee base. I said, I need to talk to this. Yeah, coming from a, a 
I mean, it, honestly, just what a reflection of the times that we're in that a CEO feels compelled to make a speech like that, particularly like something is that, like a company like AT&T that just wants to be the most absolutely middle of the road company possible, right. offend the least just amount of Just think of, of us as an American times. company yeah. that helps connect you to someone else and please don't ever talk about our politics and right. we're from Texas. Well, can you yeah. avoid it? Every one of these discussions were about responsibility and politics yeah. and yeah. how it's in and, and partisanship and impact. I mean, faiths, all of them. Oh. Yeah, so I'm very glad he came on, and yeah. um, I thought that was a really good discussion. Yeah, if I do um, say so myself. Yeah. Uh, two more, I think we'll go to uh, Dara Khosrowshahi. Hmm. Uh, he had a incredibly hard problem or set of problems that he inherited when he took over Uber. The and dead bodies in every closet. That, I mean, yeah. almost literally. Um, and he did a really good job, I think, last night of. Uh, explaining to people why Uber is going to be kind of different from here on out. He's um, he's more boring than Travis is, but that's the entire point of him mm-hmm. is to stop, you know, it, Uber should not be a, a company about like a charismatic and insane CEO who will stop at nothing to build the biggest business in the world. Um, it's more like, well, uh, you know, here's what we're going to do for our drivers. Yeah, here, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, we're going to yeah. make some changes to the app. And he didn't uh, say, and it was interesting because when, when Travis was here a couple of years ago, he literally said, the ba- it was great for me, it wasn't great for him, where he said the problem, we were talking about self-driving, he said the problem with Uber is there's the people in the front we have to pay. And once they're gone, it's all gravy for us. And I, w- I literally sat there and I went, thank you, thank you, thank you. And you could hear the audience like, oh. Oh, I was in the, I, yeah. I wrote that story immediately. immediately. Yeah, like, like this, He hadn't finished the sentence and I had half a post up on the verge. Yeah. yeah, and I literally was like, thank you so very much. Mm-hmm. Just like when Tim Cook said I wouldn't be in that situation. I was not expecting that. And I was like, thank you, Tim Cook. And scene. Kind of thing. But yeah. Dara said no. Dara's, Dara's a different kind of scene. No, he likes his drive. He doesn't want to yeah. kill his drive. His job is to clean up the mess and his job on stage last night was to explain that he's cleaning up the mess, did that very effectively. You know, I think the real question for him and that company in a couple of years is, is this really a sustainable business? Is this a commodity business? How long can you keep taking money from Bill Gurley and then basically handing it to you and me? And that doesn't seem like a good business model. Um, I like again, that business model. I like taking Bill Gurley's money. It's great. Yeah. Um, most of the time. Uh, and again, like that's the kind of thing you'll see in a couple of years. And 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 by the way, if it doesn't work, there'll be a whole like, oh, see, this is why you need a founder-led company. This is why you need an asshole in charge. This is why you need a crazy person. Um, this is why Apple didn't work when Steve Jobs wasn't there. And we'll see. But but there's plenty of big companies that are run by professional managers. Right. And also well. they could split up the world. I think that's what's going to happen. They're going to split up the world and make money in each of their markets. And all, they all be owned by SoftBank. Right. But Uber like has a stake in like most of the big markets. Yeah, they do. Right? They're going to yeah. benefit. They have a lot of stake. That's what I asked him about if it's going to be like Alibaba to Yahoo kind of thing mm. with their investment in DD or some of the others, Ola, mm. um, wherever they are. Um, so Daniel Ek, let's finish on Daniel Ek. D- uh, Daniel Ek deeply frustrated me. Yeah, he said the word transparency four hundred times, and I still have no idea what that company thinks said it with about a Swedish hate policies. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, there, there's this really interesting question that Spotify started to deal with and then ran away from as fast as they could, which is if you have artists who have done really bad things in the real world, should you continue to promote them on your public playlist? Not, um, you know, should they be allowed to be on yeah. the platform? Because there's a lot of artists who've done a lot of shady things. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, if you're going to put together like the best 90s playlist, should R. Kelly be on it given all of the stories about, you know, being a sexual predator? And, uh, at the end of that interview, I still did not know how Spotify thinks about that question, despite him saying transparency 400 times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't they clearly are conf- that is an internally confused company about that policy. Um, 
and they certainly regret sort of stepping into it. And I said this on stage, like Daniel X is a stubborn guy, so it's hard for him to sort of say I was wrong or this was wrong. Wish you would have just said, "Yeah, we we didn't get this right. We're going to go back and figure it out." It wrong. I don't think they they had. Well, a- he's blaming his PR people, which is always a strategy. But I just wish he would have said honestly, just said we're screwed up and and sort of cut the conversation off. Because, by the way, this guy built a really big business that should not exist. Um, took it public in a way that's really a novel. Um, is doing really interesting stuff. Is competing against Apple and Google and. You're constantly waiting for him to be crushed. There's lots of really interesting stuff to talk about, and yeah. I was hoping we would get more of that. And and because he couldn't sort of answer that question, it just stuck around, stuck yeah. around, stuck around. It's, I mean, he may not have an opinion. I think there's fighting internally at that company over that issue. That's and, what I'm saying. There's yeah. a, it's internal fighting. He, you know, I don't think that he really is that passionate about, it. or maybe he is. Who knows? But. We just you want to move that thing off the table, so you, at least as an interviewer. So well, you we can did talk say, about should stuff. we be the ones to judge? And of course, I was like, absolutely. Well, you and did he, judge. Yeah, you you judged. He did, and then he de-judged. Right. So yeah. you get into this sort of bat, and you can just see the internal confusion sort of on the stage, and so you end up sort of with a meta answer to it, like, yeah, they don't know, right? And that's the real answer, but you. Just spent a lot of cycles on it. Yeah. yeah. The the thing, like a, a frustrating thing, was that he said it, continually, you know, we communicated this wrong. And I was sort of like, okay, well, now's your chance to communicate this right. <laughs> like, right. What, what do you think? Right. And I think what, that's one of the issues I think we'll, we'll finish up on is this idea of responsibility, tech responsibility, yeah. which was a big theme. You know, when someone said, oh, you didn't have as much product news as you but I was like, product news doesn't happen the way it used to it mm-hmm. at all our all things D's. And because there wasn't a sudden, like, here's the self driving car, here's, it just doesn't occur. No, if you have a really big deal to announce, you do it at your own thing, yeah. right? All these companies and have their literally have their own events to do that. And the smaller stuff, and today we're announcing like that stuff Doesn't as a matter. reporter, as a journalist, I don't care about that stuff. Yeah. It's not, I was like, what would you have wanted from Facebook? It was like another feature. A couple of years ago, it would have been a big deal, but right. now it isn't. Well, they, all, they would have all written it up, but you know, it's much more interesting that Evan Spiegel came on and talked candidly about the struggles of running Snapchat than like, here's our new taco filter. <laughs> right, right. Do they have a new taco? <laughs> oh, yes, it's beautiful. Okay, all right. And, and talk about tech responsibility, and then we'll wrap up. I mean, because I think that really was this idea of them growing up, reckoning. You used the word reckoning, Pierre. Yeah, I mean, they're all being forced to do it through sort of political weight through just the weight of their own companies. If you have two billion people, whether or not you want to admit responsibility for what you're doing, you end up taking responsibility because there's no one else to blame, right? Yeah. And, and I'm torn because on one hand, you know, the more powerful the platform is, the the less actively I want them to be micromanaging, you know, the way the different opinions, you know, manifest themselves on the platform. At the same time, as a Spotify user, if Spotify wants to say there's real consequences for being convicted of domestic violence, I feel great about that as a user, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And not seeing about those in, in the playlist. So um, I think I think companies are going to try a bunch of things and some are going to take a more aggressive hand and others are going to be less aggressive and it will we'll just have to sort of see how we feel about it. But I think that there's going to be lots of mistakes and controversies in the meantime and that's great for the content so business. what is coming in the next year? Um just generally? No, yeah, what's more? More, more Casey a, Newton podcast. Casey well, Newton. Besides yeah. that, but I mean, we, this has been a really tough year. It seems like you literally can't shower without, even not just in politics, but tech, everything. It's just like, blah, 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 like whether it's Me Too, whether it's uh, diversity, whether it's uh, political hacking, whatever it is. Well, that's sort of where I have my eye on the ball is what happens between now and the midterm elections. We know that Russians and other bad actors are trying to Which interfere on all the big ta- tech platforms and 
uh, and they might not see the next wave of attacks, right? They didn't see the last one. Why should well, we? Well, Cheryl did references. Yeah, like, we don't even know we're fixing for the last problem. Right. So, you know, the best case scenario is that we make it through the midterms relatively unscathed and there are no new attacks and the platforms do a better job of, of managing the bad actors. And the worst case scenario is that they get caught flat footed just the way they did last time. So that's what worries me. Peter, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, I, th- I think one way to think about it is all of these companies, right, not just Facebook and YouTube, but Spotify and Uber all describe themselves as platforms, right, which is there's a business reason for that. I think sort of like actually like theologically they, they think this is the right way. But the, the argument is, hey, we're just in the middle here and people are putting stuff up or people are, are connecting with drivers and we're just – we're just facilitating it. We're just the middlemen here. Our, you know, don't look at us. If anything bad happened, it's, be- it's because the guy who rented the Airbnb, we mm-hmm. didn't do that. Right. Um, and I think we are, this is the year where we're bumping up against some of those limits. Yep. Again, whether they're, the company is recognizing on their own or being forced to recognize. Right. Them. Values, Peter. That's what I was talking and, about. And you know, the counter to that, right? Values like, are is, hard. Is Randall Stevenson saying, yeah, yeah, I would fire Roseanne Barr. Yes, exactly. Because she this would is be our working value. for me and we she do can't not do want that. And Someone is, who tweets racist. Right. And, you know, by the way, the, the flip is is the platform model has allowed all these companies to grow at yep. really rapid clips. They're valued much more than traditional companies. And they don't have to pay the price that it costs to monitor. Right. This and stuff. so now we're seeing maybe, there is, maybe there is a final point where you actually have to stop that. And, and pay for it. Yeah. And pay for it. It costs more. Guess what? The media business costs more. That was interesting. Maura said whether they should be considered media companies. Mm. What do you think? I do. I, to me, the distinction is meaningless. Like if Facebook says we're a media I'm company, about res- it gives you more responsibility. That, well, Mark Zuckerberg has already said I think we have more responsibilities than a traditional Broader media company, which is true. Like, like in a way, like making Facebook a media company, it's too small a way to think of them. They're they're much more consequential than freaking you know. All right, Warner. last question: Who's your favorite speaker? Each of you. Uh, for, for me, the most interesting talk was Spiegel because it is so rare that he sits down and faces an interview that is at all challenging. And so it, for, for me, that was the highlight. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to compliment Kara. So David Chang. Yeah. But that again, was it was, a, was, it was another it was guy. Fun. It was another guy thinking about the answers. You could see him pausing. There was a really cool moment at the end. Yeah. Or Brooke Hammerling, who is his friend, and they are mutual friends with Mario Batali, was saying, what, what do we do as people who are around people who are behaving badly? And he didn't have an answer, but it wasn't unsatisfying in the way that, like, watching Daniel X sort of struggle with the question was unsatisfying. He was saying, I, I don't know what we're really supposed to do. And I, that felt like a cool moment. Yeah, that was great. Very good. Say so you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> um, who do we want next year? Um... Well, Would you, like to see? you it, sounds, it seems like you came very close to getting Elon Musk this year. He has close. a lot to answer for. Very it would be close. great to hear from him next year. Right. And somebody, somebody else who you had the same year, the last time you had Elon was Jeff Bezos. And I'm just always interested Trying. to hear Jeff Bezos talk. He's a hard one to yeah, bag. I'm going to tell you. Yeah. That we'll takes get him. me. We'll get we'll him. We'll get him. They'll come back. Peter, who do you want? Yeah, those two. I want Warren Buffett. Um, I, that might happen. Yeah, it, all, it always could happen. We would yeah. like to hear from Barack Obama one day. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Um, we, Trump? Do we, we want Trump? I want Trump. Yeah, sure. Look at Peter. Yeah. Peter just made a face. It's, it's the it's the who farted face. <laughs> um, yes, it'd be a spectacle. Yeah, I would love that. Kara loves a spectacle. Yeah. Um, and 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 more boringly, we want to bring in people like who run big packaged goods companies. Yeah. I know that's not sexy, yeah. but we want to hear about how big established companies are. are what about Macron? Sure. Do you like that? Big established companies. Uncle, I would like to have yeah. Uncle. That would be fantastic. Whatever cares is. But, but we, we do want to hear, we continually want to bring in the Fords and Pepsis and Cokes of the world and say, 
Yes, we have. Your to world has blown We've been up. Bad about how that. do you do it? Yeah. yeah. How about Xi from China? <sighs> that would be so good. How can I do that? How can I pull that one off? Has he ever given an interview to a Western outlet? I don't know, but let's find out. How's your Mandarin? Uh, not very or is good. It Cantonese. He's. How's Zuckerberg teach you? How about um, uh, head of North Korea? Do you think he would? Come? How about Dennis Do you think Rodman? You could get Kim Jong Un. That'd be a real coup. <laughs> That'd be a coup, maybe. I think what Carrie does is she goes to the grocery store and you know, the, those things that are mag—they're called magazines uh-huh. on the rack—and she just goes, "I like that name." <laughs> Actually, she did that, her version of that is Twitter. She goes, "That person wrote a funny tweet. We should have them on stage." She literally yeah. texts me this. And I'm then, telling you, Christy Teigen. Don't even start. Don't I, even insult. I didn't say anything. Beyonce. That's who I want. Uh, sure. Oh my gosh, please. Beyonce. Yes. Thank you. I mean, people would die. Beyonce. Here's the question, way. though, right? When do you see Beyonce interviewed? Exactly. But, but here's, so is it just that she's so special that she just refuses to do interview? Or nobody or, asks. Or is that she's actually not interesting to talk to? Oh my God, sorry. She's you're, interesting. You don't know. Stop, you don't stop know. speaking. You don't the know. bees are coming for you. Let me, you what are the beehive? The beehive, the beehive is, is coming. coming. Yeah. Go after Peter Kafka beehive because that would be, I would love to talk to Beyonce. I know some beehive people. Yes, in any case, this has been another great episode of Too Embarrassed to Act. This has been another uh, great episode of Too Embarrassed to Ask. Too Embarrassed to Act is my improv <laughs> Thank you. You're a funny guy. Thanks again. Better than Angela Lansbury. (laughs) (laughs) She was very funny. She had a lot of quips. Thanks again to Peter Kovac and Casey Newton for joining me on the show. Thank you, too. Tune in to Recode Decode, to Recode Media, and of course, Casey Newton's Converge, where he will not solve a murder. You can find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can listen to every episode at recode.net slash podcasts. If you use Apple Podcasts, please give us a review there. Otherwise, tell someone about the show, send an email, tweet about it, post on Facebook, or just tell them in person. If you have a question about any tech topic or the latest tech news, tweet them to at Recode with the hashtag Too Embarrassed or email them to tooembarrassed at recode.net. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our sponsors and to Cadence 13 and Vox Media, which sells those ads so you can listen to this show for free. Thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back next week to answer more of the questions you've been too embarrassed to ask. So tune in then. 